You know, when I was your age, go ask your mother. I know you don't like it. It builds character. How many times do I have to tell you? I'm not just talking to hear my own voice. Hello, listener, and welcome to Datages. I'm your host, Chad Hagel. And if you are looking for some fatherly wisdom for your career, your family, or any other aspect of your life, then you've come to the right place. If you want to learn more about Datages, find additional content, submit questions or feedback to me, or if you want to know if that mental picture you have of me after hearing my voice matches my real face, visit datages.com. Thanks for being here. And before you listen to our podcast, please listen to your father. Welcome back, listeners. This is the second half of our episode, which is focused on Generation X and how we as the sandwich generation are really stuck between taking care of our parents and taking care of our children. And with us today is a very good friend of mine who is a fellow father and a fellow son and a fellow member of Generation X. Very happy to welcome one of my closest friends and advisors and confidants to the program, Mr. Jeffrey Small. Jeffrey, welcome. Thank thank you, Chad. It's great to be here. Very, very happy to be here. I've had a terrific time listening to Datages and catching each of the episodes and each of the interviews. And I look forward to a, a, a long, long, long run because I'm having a great time with it. Well, thank you. I appreciate that feedback. And I'm sure this will be another strong addition to the program. Just to give people a little bit of background, you know, we'll rewind back about a decade now to when you and I met and maybe talk a little bit about our introduction to one another, which was around St. John's Episcopal School. And I've talked at length and will continue to talk at length within Datages and the podcast about my engagement in philanthropy and how much a part of my life it is. And it's always wonderful, the people that you meet and that you encounter because they're of such high caliber and quality individuals when you're operating in the philanthropic space and particularly around education, I've found. And maybe you can share it from your perspective. That first day we walked into a boardroom together at St. John's Episcopal School and our experience there. Well, I was, for one, uh, flattered to be there because when the chair of the board approached me, and at the time more of my career was focused on marketing and the chair approached me about how the board of the school, which the St. John's Episcopal School, as you may recall, pre-K through 12th is one of the largest independent Episcopal schools in the country by size of enrollment. He approached me to talk about how the board had a a need when it came to marketing to backstop the school and support the school from that perspective. I thought he was asking if I could make any recommendations of anyone I knew in my field that might do well to serve on the board. I didn't realize he was interested in <laughs> in me serving. So I was flattered to be you there. You mean me? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And that's sort of been my experience each time I've been approached with something philanthropically. I mean, our conversation today may lead to sort of higher and higher education as both you and I philanthropically have sort of grown from perhaps through our stages in life with our children have grown from that level to the university level. So got into higher education as well. But I had sort of that same experience when I was approached later to serve on the alumni board of my university. I thought, again, they were maybe talking to someone who was standing behind me when they were asking about interest. But thinking back to that, when we first walked into St. John's and looking back on it, absolutely grateful for being asked to serve and grateful for that opportunity to to give in that way. But but truly grateful because it gave us a chance to meet, as you know, three. I, we have three daughters and you have two sons, and they're also different in age. And back in that stage of life, the way that you're only really going to meet another father or set of parents that have sons when you have daughters is if they're dating. And you know, ours are, are you know spread apart in age that that wasn't going to happen. So with ours more in the middle school phase and yours more in the grade school phase, it was great that we were able to to meet and connect and have a chance to to serve and really had a chance to get connect with you and your approach to, to philanthropy when we met outside the boardroom and, and caught up for coffee and talked about the capital campaign that before that point really was in infant stages there at the university. But that was the start of what moved that school from a traditional curriculum to a STEM and really a STEAM curriculum that was you know, driven by that board and, and your leadership from that front. Yeah, that was a great time. It was wonderful to be a part of a transitional period when 
The school was growing when they had a change in leadership. We were both part of bringing the new headmaster into the fold and then really changing and escalating the vision for the school. It's, uh, you know, you talked about the engagement in the educational realm at the higher education level, but I do find that there is so much impact that can be made at, at the primary school level that if you have a chance to participate in, in leadership in that regard, I know you and I have both enjoyed it and benefited from it. And I, I, I'm sure you as well as I would recommend that to any of our listeners that are ever offered that opportunity. Absolutely. Absolutely. And and by the way, I don't know if you've, if you've heard, but uh, the headmaster that we helped convince that as opposed to coming in as an interim head that he stayed for a permanent has now come back to serve at St. John's for a two to three year return trip. He's, he's come back. So just when he thinks he's out, they get him back in. Just like the godfather. Exactly. The godfather of Episcopal education. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, Jeffrey, it's interesting. You know, we started the discussion in the realm of philanthropy. I find that philanthropy runs in families. And it's an interesting thread to weave through our discussion today where we're talking about multiple generations of families. And I think that particularly, in, and I've talked about in the podcast episode, the notion of arcs and rangs. Arcs being matriarchs and patriarchs, strong leaders in the prior generation for a family, and rangs being those parents that require special assistance or attention from us as their children, as the next generation, to, to take care of them or, or provide in some aspect of their later lives. But I think when you grow up in a family that has arcs around, that has the leadership in the family, that one of the domains where I think there is often that leadership is exhibited is in the domain of philanthropy and helping to build families that have an ongoing focus across multiple generations into the realm of philanthropy. Would you agree with that observation based on your family and others that you've met? Absolutely. It is something that we experienced in our family as well. You, know, you mentioned where this sort of sandwich generation in between parents that were caring for and children that were caring for and helping to raise and helping to instill certain morals and values and ethics and goals in their lives and learn from our family's example and our parents' example about giving back, about philanthropy, about what what it means to to give and to help others. And it's important that we instill that in our children as well. You know, you mentioned that we mentioned St. John's in that period of time on the board. As you recall, we have an annual Christmas party. We just just had our 24th annual Christmas party. Back in the day of the St. John's board, I think is when we peaked with somewhere around 120 to 130 guests in our home. And they've always been great parties <laughs> and we've always enjoyed being invited to them. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I'll be sure my wife, Nicole, knows, knows that you said that. And Early on, we realized that people very kindly, very thoughtfully brought would bring a hostess gift. And so we would end up the next day and find that we had a lot of gifts there of, of candles and wine and food and, and presents from people. Yet we're so blessed that we have plenty. So we started to add to our Christmas party invitation, inviting people to join us supporting Toys for Tots. And then later with Nicole's brother, who was a member of the California Highway Patrol, we supported their gift program so that officers would have toys in their in their cars. And if they came across an accident or stopped someone, they'd have gifts to give out. And so our children were raised at an early age. People would come to the party, fill up underneath a Christmas tree, and then the next day, back the car up to the front porch. They would load all the presents in and we'd take them to the fire station and then later the police station. And the girls did the loading and the unloading. And there were times when people brought really cute little girl's bicycle. They brought dolls and they would all be unwrapped toys. And our girls had the experience of, you know, seeing all these gifts they would have loved to have had and give, you know, giving them away. And that laid in a foundation much in the way that we watched our parents do things from sponsoring scholarships to donating to their the schools that they had gone to, to giving through their church, to helping to found the my parents helped found the church they go to now. And a number of other ways to you know, to give back. And and I'll tell you, I'm not trying to get all, you know, I know Dadages is, isn't it a political talk show and not to get all political, but people, people sometimes kind of like to pick on the good old US of A. But if you stand back and take a look, we're one of the most, if not the most generous nation on earth when it comes to giving. But it's important to teach that 
and to instill that, you know, our girls to this day, and, and now they're all, they're young adults, they love to give, they talk about having giving back, they talk about philanthropy. When I tell them that I'm going to serve on a committee at the university, they sort of tongue in cheek smile and say, well, of course you are. What would make me think you wouldn't? And I'm very, very proud to say that our eldest daughter, Karna, who graduated from SMU class of 20, has already been back to the university as a speaker, has already been back to speak to the major where she was a senior fellow to speak to the students in her area about what is life like? They call it adulting. What is that like? How did you you know, advice for, for interviews, advice for getting a job, advice for moving up in the job, advice for changing the job, as well as serving on a, a volunteer committee and as a, as a young alum as well. Well, Jeffrey, you're beginning to make me think maybe I'm interviewing the wrong member of the small family here <laughs> yeah, for pretty, advice. I'm pretty, pretty, pretty sure you are. You could actually pick up any of the girls and have, definitely, definitely they could provide great advice. Well, that's great. And it's amazing, I think, when we as parents can say that we have the opportunity to tell our kids, do as I do, not just as I say. Whereas many times there's the trite expression and all you hear is do as I say, not as I do. I think it's great when you can set that example. Well, and, you know, for those listeners out there who've been listening to Dadages or following Dadages, you know, on, on online or the Dadages.com website, they know that at this point, anything worth doing is worth overdoing. And when it comes to philanthropy and giving, there will truly be nothing that will express your gratitude more than giving and nothing that will give you more fulfillment than giving. A couple of days ago, Christmas morning and I'll, ch- I'll challenge any of your listeners to think about it. What was their favorite part? I, and I'll bet it wasn't the gift they received. It was the gifts they gave. Particularly, that's particularly a wonderful thing for, you know, for dads. But uh, when it comes to, you know, and my sort of spin on anything worth doing is worth overdoing is anything is worth doing is worth doing over and over and worth, you know, worth doing well. Some people say that, you know, give, give till it hurts, but you know, if you step back from that, one of the things that we share with our daughters is you have many ways that you can give and you, you know, you can give of your time or you can give of your treasure. You can also give of your intellect. And so if you have experience that you can share, like Karna going back and speaking to the students at SMU and in her public relations and corporate communications program, that is something that you can, that you can do. And more than likely, don't be afraid to ask your employer if you can have time off to go to go give and to go donate, whether you're going to go work in a in a, a soup kitchen or you're going to go speak to you know future future graduates or potentially future employees, I'll bet you I'll, I'll bet you time and time again they'll say yes without hesitation. Absolutely true, and this has been a you know great side discussion on generational learning around philanthropy and the impact of family structures on the important topic of philanthropy, and it's a great segue to the sequence of episodes that'll be coming in the weeks ahead on datages related to philanthropy. So for those listeners that are interested in the topic, I encourage them to come back and and check that out in the weeks ahead. But let's turn the focus back to the notion of Gen X. And let's talk, first of all, about relationships with our parents' generation and with our parents in particular. Jeffrey, perhaps you can share some of the background of your family, because I know you, like me, have parents that are definitely in that category of being arcs that have really charted a course, definitively self-made high achievers who have made a major impact on the world and that that has really laid a foundation for our family for generations to come. Maybe you can share that narrative and how it relates to your family. Well, absolutely. First, just to provide some some framework, my dad, who passed earlier this year, a little less than a year ago, served in the Air Force Reserves for more than 27 years, retired as a full bird colonel, Served in the JAG Corps. He's like to say that he flew a desk, but uh, old school style attorney was a was a part of a, a partner in three different law firms. One that he joined as partner, and the other two that he founded. Both of which are still large, large successful firms to this day. He was a corporate attorney with with a law that that he enacted that is on the books of books of the state of, in the state of California. Successful athlete and an incredible, incredible father, but a success of kind of everything that he that he connected with. My stepmother, 
published six or more novels, all on different subjects, not non nonfiction, all on different subjects. And even even in retirement, went and got a master's online from, from USC. So on one side of the family, you know, tremendous amount of success. And then on the other side of the family, my my stepdad has had a number of different careers and every single one of them has been a tremendous, tremendous success from serving in the in two different capacities in the Nixon White House to being, I would say, maybe the number three executive at AT&T to helping to found two very, very successful venture capital firms, both of which were went from in, you know in, in inception to completion, which is a field I know you know very well as well, and still very successful in, in, in his early 80s and still working and, and going strong with, in, in all aspects, the chairman of a couple of different companies still. In the case of my mom, perhaps one of the biggest influences in my life, incredible career, starting as a quote-unquote weather girl, sorry if that sounds inappropriate, but it was the appropriate term at the time, to becoming the first female anchor on a network-owned and affiliate-owned affiliate in San Francisco. And then she went on to anchor the news for both NBC, ABC, and what is now the Fox station in Washington, D.C., and eventually joined the White House, was appointed to the White House by President Reagan and served in both of his terms as the highest ranking woman in the Reagan White House, thinking that that would be more than enough for anyone, but not for her. She went on to become a national commentator, serve on ABC News as a commentator, hosted a national radio show, and then decided, well, okay, you know, I should be retired, but maybe instead I'll write political thrillers and went on to publish uh, half a dozen political thrillers and is now just <laughs> just signed a contract because she, you know, had a, a change of direction and just signed a contract to produce, publish her first children's book. So certainly, like you say, they, I believe you said ARC. <laughs> definitely, definitely card-carrying members of the ARC society. And, you know, I have found, you know, that you take the good with the bad, you take the bad with the good. When you have parents that are achieving that level. On one hand, I believe that to be a great father, you have to be a great man. To be a great mother, you have to show what it means to be a great woman. On the other hand, in my own personal experience, there have been moments of absence, moments when I recognized everything that my father was accomplishing and achieving, but I could also sense that that would pull him away from the family unit and sometimes pull him away from spending time with me. And I look at both of those situations, and I think that both looking at him as an example and seeing how his level of achievement pulled him away from the family have shaped my parenting style and have shaped how I now parent my children. Have you experienced similar situations and and circumstances and feelings in your youth and and how they've impact how that experience has impacted you now as an adult and as a parent? Well, absolutely. On the one hand, I don't think my mom ever made it to a soccer game, but at 16, 16, 17, I sort of ignored the emotional side of not really seeing anyone on the sidelines for me and focused much more on the intellectual side of it didn't make much sense for me to ask her to step away from helping to negotiate the limited nuclear arms treaty for Western Europe versus Eastern Europe with the the, uh, the team from the Soviet Union to attend my soccer game. So always raised on how it made made sense as to where, you know, where where she was. I didn't convict her at the time and don't convict her now for that. I doubt any of your soccer games determined the fate of the free world. <laughs> exactly. Right. But, you know, as a, but on my side, I've been very blessed to have opportunity professionally to work remotely before it was, before it was the thing, before it was so in, in vogue. And so I was able to be at almost all of our daughter's games. The experience that I had where she couldn't necessarily be there impacted my wanting to be there for our daughter's events. Yeah. I, you know, something that, that I've seen is that we, as I've mentioned, our parenting in our generation, I think is a blend of being a reflection of our parents or a reaction to our parents and, and what that experience has been with them during our, our youth. If you go back and you look at the, the lessons that you took from watching both of your parents achieve at a high level. Talk to me about what that meant to you and talk to me about what you took from that that has become part of your makeup. So on the one hand, 
it was really, really fun and really, really exciting. I, I had an, an amazing childhood, an amazing set of teenage years, amazing college years, and there was never any shortage of anything to talk about at dinner. <laughs> there was never any a shortage of things to talk about around school. And even though, you know- Give us uh, one or two of those unique Jeffrey Small stories that no one else would have ever had. Well, so when I was 16 in high school, we were in Washington, D.C., so my classmates were people like G. Gordon Liddy's son, Vice President Mondale's son, and a terrific guy whose brother is now the King of Jordan. He was the Crown Prince of Jordan until his brother's son reached the appropriate age for that. But when he was my classmate, he was my classmate and my fellow soccer player and teammate. And, you know, my mom worked in the in the White House, but still just seemed like my mom and his dad was the King of Jordan. So when we decided we wanted to get together for the summer, we grabbed another friend of ours whose dad was the Secretary of Labor and sat on President Reagan's cabinet. But all of these people and all these professionals and all these highly successful people and literally world leaders, they have kids and the kids have to go to school. So they to go to school somewhere. So these end up being your classmates. But it sounds like it would have been a real dogfight to determine most likely to succeed. <laughs> well, exactly. And we actually sometimes get together and talk about you know what, what it's like to have been in that environment and have the, the parents we did. What was amazing though, is that and this, you know, I don't know if you would have this in today's you know, sort of environment. We had all of our, our friends were, there were parents who are congressmen or parents that were on the FCC, parents that were in the White House, or, and like I said, parent that was a, a vice president, people that were ambassadors' kids. And so all sorts of different viewpoints and positions on the political spectrum. But we're all just, we're all just friends and all we love to hang out and, 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 and spend time together. It, it didn't devolve into any, any type of, you know, huge, huge debate or arm wrestle over, over things. Although I will say, as you said, to give you a couple examples, when President Reagan came in, and my good friend whose dad went on to be the Secretary of Labor, he initially was the U.S. Federal Trade Representative, and there was sort of a national malaise that went on. And we decided between the two of us being sort of Southern rock fans and big fans of bands like Leonard Skinner and Molly Hatchett and Charlie Daniels, that there was a terrific song by Charlie Daniels called In America. And it's about pride anthem, you know, just really, really excited about, you know, being an being an American. And we decided that we were going to just do what we could to create an internal campaign to get the Charlie Daniels Band song in America as our official or at least unofficial second national anthem. And so we kept playing the song for members of the cabinet and for my mom and for other members of the National Security Council. And everybody was on board, but we just couldn't figure out how to actually get President Reagan to endorse this. But I don't know if you had a similar experience down in Florida. <laughs> no, I can't remember ever trying to get a new anthem approved. All I remember of Florida is that when I was growing up, they came up with a new state motto that came from the state tourism board, which was, Florida, the rules are different here. <laughs> and now this was during the time of like Miami Vice and drug running across the country and everything coming through Florida. And I don't think they could have missed the mark anymore, but uh, that's, a, that's a different story. So let's go back to the other side of your, your youth experience with your parents. Being such high achievers and being away and engaged in professional life, did you find other figures in your life that sort of filled the more traditional parenting roles and provided the, the nurturing, the, the ground level support for you when they were operating at 10,000 feet? Well, my, my parents were divorced when I was four and my dad was remarried actually a couple of times. My mom was remarried actually a couple of times. And so I had a sort of a, a full roster of parents to, to turn to. So I had so my California family and I had my family in Washington, D.C. And then I had, from that school that I had mentioned, I had some very, very good close friends. I went to, my, my graduating class was 63 people. So we kind of all knew each other and knew each other's families. And, you know, under that heading of, you know, it takes a village, I learned a number of lessons from my friend's parents who were very successful in their own right, but were at the games or were at the, the, the post-game post you know, parties or at, at the weekend events because their professional schedules had them 
operating at perhaps maybe normal hours, you might say. And so I'm very blessed growing up that I've got this extended family. And that translates down to our daughters in many respects as, you know, for example, our eldest daughter, daughter I mentioned earlier, she's getting married this spring. And the wedding's larger than she expected because of this extended family and all of these people that have had such a huge impact on my life. Our daughters have a number of people that they refer to as uncle or aunt. And these are the people that we, you know, that we grew up with that I was part of part of their family and that have known about our daughters since before the day they were born and have had an impact on their lives. And so in many respects, there's a number of images, you might say, that they get from their extended family, from their other uncles and aunts. My cousin, who is like a brother to me, they call Uncle Brian. My my good friend, my good friend Michael, they call Uncle Michael. But they, they know, they eventually learned that they weren't actually related. I actually had the same experience growing up. It's a, kind of a funny story. We always had lots and lots of time spent with Uncle Byron and Aunt Patsy. And I was about 13 years old, and I remember looking at a family tree and saying, Mom, I can't figure out who Uncle Byron and Aunt Patsy are related to. And (laughs) she had to break the news to me. They're not really your aunt and uncle. That was (laughs) mind-blowing at at 12 years old. (laughs) Right, 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 right. Exactly, exactly. But the, the, the great thing about sort of, you know, like you say, sort of, you know, it takes a village and this extended family. Since I learned so many lessons of life's lessons, for example, my best friend from growing up, his mom got to the point where she was tired of him always having to pick me up or drop me off. And when I was about 16 and a half, unlike your typical 16-year-old who was camped out on the doorstep of the DMV for their birthday, I didn't have my license yet. And so at 16 and a half, she drove me over to the DMV and said, you're getting your license. You know, meanwhile, I refer you back to the aforementioned, you know, limited nuclear arms talks where it's very hard to find a time when the White House wasn't open for business that the DMV was still open for business. Yeah, I think the White House and the DMV keep directly opposite hours in terms of <laughs> governmental offices. Well, exactly, exactly. But uh, the great the great thing that that we find since I learned so many different lessons, you know, we had our our daughters speaking with not not just two, but speaking with grown-ups, adults, you might say, if you could see me, I'm using you know the, those air quotes from a young age and speaking to this extended family of cousins, aunts, uncles, not actual uncles, and we would encourage all of the, that extended family to, you know, te- teach our children things, to give you know, give give them life lessons, and share their experiences with them, so that our our da- daughters could have a sort of diverse set of influences on their lives. Which has been which has been absolutely terrific. Yeah. But one thing I uh, t- touch base on was you were talking about those those influences on our lives, and you're probably about to touch base on this anyway. Influences on our lives with our our, our parents and their career successes, etc. One thing that I have found is that with our daughters, I've tried to be careful because my parents had always had the bar set so high, and this isn't any conviction of them. I don't think they even necessarily realized that they had the bar set so high. And a lot of that came from from their parents as well. But one of the things I've always tried to share with our daughters and have them understand is that where they are, who they are, what they're doing today is a product of what they've done. And what they're doing now is going to determine what they become. And so for me, there were many times in my life where I, I... was far beyond the age of 12 or far beyond the age of 16, but feel as though with my parents having been very successful and have been very helpful in the lessons that they've taught and their lessons never end. That's one of the things that you find is they're, they're continuing to deliver datages to this day, right? In their eighties and delivering datages on a daily basis. And with that, it's hard not to take on the role for me of thinking of myself as the child. And then remembering that I, yes, I'm a son, but I'm also a father and I'm also a you know, grown up and man in, his, man in his 50s, right? But why am I suddenly reverting to this young, younger age? And that is, I have to remember that I am the result of what I've, I've done, but I'm still doing things now to become something more and something further in the future. And so I'm always trying to have our daughters realize that they're they're not constrained by what they might think or how they might think I view them. 
And I'm always trying to encourage them to understand that I don't view them as a child anymore. I don't view them as a teenager or a, you know, a, a tween or as a, you know, oh, you know, and, and, I, and I try not to tell the same stories over and over of, oh, your difficult years so that they don't, it doesn't brand. You know, we talk not on this podcast, but, you know, you and I often talk about branding and talk about the impact of that on our businesses. I don't ever want them to have the brand in their mind or feel in their mind that I've branded them a certain age, a certain stage, a certain place. Or that you've defined a role that they fulfill and they'll never be able to work outside that role. So one of the challenges that I've had, I have to be careful that I don't let myself convince me, you know, I don't convince myself that I'm still at that stage. Because there's been many, many times in my life when one of my very, very successful parents out of the group has told what I would like or what I would really enjoy or what I really ought to study. And they're really just providing advice. But I would take that through the mind's eye of my being 12, 18, even though I was 32. I would take it through that mind's eye and say, oh, okay. And I would go in the interview and I'd come out of the interview and I wouldn't get the job. And when I did a debrief on the, the interview and the process and why I didn't get the job, I realized, well, I didn't introduce them to me. I introduced them to an interpretation of myself based on how I viewed myself through my parents' eyes. And I tried to be or who I thought they thought I was. And again, it's not a conviction. Yeah, let's talk about that phenomenon a little bit more, because I think, as you said, it's a two-way street. Any behavior has the person who is exhibiting the behavior and then has the recipient of the behavior, and they're both playing their role in that behavior pattern. When you look at a circumstance like that, and what we're really talking about here is as an adult child of a parent who is in a role where they are over-parenting later in life when we're already adults and already successful in our own right, how much of that do you think comes down to the nature of the parent? And how much of that do you think is encouraged by the nature of the child, you and I, in this case, who are the recipients of that behavior? I think in many respects, it doesn't matter how much of that is the nature of the parent at all. It doesn't matter at all. And here's why I say that, which I also also say that's nearly impossible to 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 ignore. It's nearly impossible to say it doesn't matter. I'm going to completely ignore it. And the reason for that is is that God bless them, and and I can't even begin to tell you how much I love my parents and how much I appreciate my parents. I'm incredibly grateful for them. The point is is that in many respects, I, I try to think they can't help themselves. And so the times in my life when I've had sort of these moments of epiphanies, you might say, have been when I've realized that what they're telling me isn't actually gospel. It isn't actually an absolute. And I used to take it that way. I used to take the things that my dad told me, that my mom told me. And then my, my stepfather, who's been in my, my stepfather for more than 30 years, and, and I call dad, and I respect him as dad, and I appreciate him as, 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 as my father as well. And that is no replacement of my, of my dad, who recently passed away, more along the lines of blessed to have two. But when my mom, first, when they first started seeing each other, and she used to tell us the things that he liked and the things that he didn't like and the things that he did professionally, I interpreted that as gospel. And so 3,000 miles away, I bought the same suits, the same ties. I didn't wear cologne because if you walk into a meeting and shake someone's hand and you walk away and your hand smells like cologne for the rest of the day, it leaves a bad impression. And I actually got so much more out of their advice when I realized it wasn't gospel and I didn't have to take it as is <laughs> to the letter. I started to gain so much more from it. <laughs> That's really interesting insight because I spoke in this episode about how individuals from our parents' generation, particularly those that are the ARCs, really have gotten to a point in their lives where their opinion has evolved into fact. And perhaps it's not so much that they believe that or that they treat it that way, but that everyone around them, including us, sees it in that way. And if we misinterpret their opinion or don't properly interpret it, as you're saying, as just good, wise advice, but start trying to rely upon it as being fact, that's probably where we get ourselves in trouble. Absolutely. I mean, I grew up, we talked before about you know, the growing up and the high school experiences and, and the people that we were around. 
I grew up with incredibly blessed to be in this environment and to be around this sort of wow factor. And that old expression of everything they touched turned to gold. At much, much later in life, I started playing a little golf, got out onto the golf course with my stepfather. And I've had absolutely fantastic times, time and again, playing 18 holes of golf with him, telling me about ventures of his that were unsuccessful. And that blew my mind. Everything he touches turns to gold. What, 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 what do you mean he, you know, bought some stock and sold it low and then that stock went sky high and he wasn't a part of that. I couldn't imagine that being the case. And so it was really, really an interesting experience to find that they're actually just human the way we are. But like you say, their opinion becomes fact. So I would take what they presented and or I interpreted as gospel and then put my own spin on it. And I realized their advice became so much more valuable to me when I could interpret it through my own experience to my own view of the world. People like to talk about a worldview, and what that really means is your view of the world. Well, am I going to be more successful living my life through my view of the world or through theirs? My view of the world, my worldview, is impacted by theirs and impacted by my upbringing, but it's going to be much, I'm going to be much more successful if I run it through my own. My dad had a, a couple of expressions that he used to always share, sort of his dadages error on the side of caution, which is sort of like, you know, a Boy Scout always be prepared. And one of his others was responsibility equals the authority. And I've heard that throughout my life. I've heard that from, from him for more than 50 years. But through different stages in my life, I would run that through and that became sort of a filter for me. And it used to be the sort of thing where he would take, give me the car keys and tell me to go down and get the get the get new tires put on the car. And I would keep calling him to say, which tire should I put on, Dad? And he said, well, you've got the responsibility to change the tires on the cars. You're, you've, you've got the authority to make the decision, which really led to my researching a lot of tires because I didn't want to make a mistake. But as I, interpret, as I brought that throughout my whole life, responsibility equals authority, I'm really responsible for myself and in turn for our children. And so I really have the authority, the freedom, to take those lessons from my parents and run them through a filter. As I mentioned, my dad passed earlier this year. And as much as I thought when that day came, I would be so sad, I really actually, and of course I was sad, of course I, you know, I, I, you know, sad that he passed. But it was very, very liberating because one of the gifts that he gave me was the ability with his with his passing was the ability to say, okay, son, here's all of these lessons, here's all these datages I've given you to take through life. Now do with them what you will. It's your responsibility. You've got the authority to absorb them, ignore them, use them, pass them on. And again, I pass them on to our children. But the biggest emphasis that I try to, or perhaps difference that I've tried to have in our our daughter's experience versus mine is I want them to get to where I, the, the place in life I reached in my 40s or 50s, I want them to reach in their teens or 20s. In other words, to go ahead and turn their filter on, go ahead and run it. Don't take what I give them as gospel. I've got a great father figure in my life who says there's three things that you really, really need to know how to, three most important things, you know, his dadages. One is you got to learn how to swim. It's very practical, but if you think of how much of the Earth's surface is covered in water, you better learn how to swim. The next one is to read. Really, really need to learn how to read and enjoy to read because reading will, you'll, you can teach yourself anything, whether it's from the learner's manual to a physics book, you need to learn how to read. And if you know how to read, you can really go places in life. And the third one is how to, to protect yourself. He happens to be a 10th degree grandmaster of, 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 of in karate and martial arts and several different martial arts forms. And that's something you and I, you, you know, I've talked a lot about offline is my love for martial arts. But I realized in those lessons that he's passed along, they're similar to the ones that I learned from, from my dad, which is to be prepared. You learn how to swim, right? That's to be prepared to protect yourself. In other words, be aware of your surroundings. Think, you know, plan ahead and think ahead. And then the read, which is, he's really saying, be open. But when you read something, are you reading, are you reading gospel? Or are you reading something that you can, you can interpret? One of our twin daughters, Lauren, absolutely loves to read. And she has books that she really, really enjoys. And her identical twin, Kelly, is not necessarily identical because she doesn't necessarily like to read the same thing. Why is that? It's because of how they interpret it. It's not gospel. It needs to be interpreted. 
And so if we can help our kids to learn as we sit here in this sandwich generation, <laughs> in this, you know, in, in between people that have been incredibly successful and people that we want to be incredibly successful, <laughs> people that ha- took care of us that we're now perhaps helping to take care of and people that we uh, have been taking care of that we hope maybe one day will take care of us. As we sit in between them, we can pass these lessons through. But what we really, really hope for them to realize is, is that to interpret them, and like I say, don't spend a lot of time thinking, I am the product of what I've done, and that will never change. Yet instead, I will become the product of what I'm doing and, 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 and grow. And don't, don't, don't only view yourself as a son when you have your opportunity to view yourself as a husband, co-worker, father. Use all the, all the associated you know, filters to do so. Yeah, it's really remarkable. As I sit here listening to you speak, Jeffrey, I come away with a couple of lessons that I'm taking from you here and now in real time. Lesson number one that I'm taking away is when we start to see our parents as imperfect rather than seeing them as completely infallible, it adds texture and meaning to the things that they share with us in their lives. And then two that goes very closely with that is When we then open our eyes and are able to see what our parents share with us through a new lens and see it as wise advice, rather than just accepting it as gospel truth, we can actually pull the wisdom out of the advice rather than just hearing something and trying to internalize it when it may not fit with our view of the universe. Well, absolutely. Because like you say, you mentioned that context, when you realize that what they're presenting you know, to you is their opinion, their, it's the result of their experiences. So when you provide that context, you can realize they were, believe it or not, at one time, not only my age, but every age I've ever been. And they weren't absolutely infallible, perfect, wildly successful from the moment they started walking and incapable of making a mistake and only capable of touching things and having them turn into gold. That texture and that enrichment, I really stop. And and it's amazing how much closer you'll feel to your parents, which you can then take that experience and translate it with your children and others in your lives, but how much it enhances your experience to realize your parents are human. So much of what happens is you're you're sort of raised to think of them as being inhuman, meaning, meaning superhuman. But when you realize that they're human and what their texture is, and I go back and I think about, okay, there was a time when my mom was a single mom with two boys trying to make ends meet and very much li- li- work, working, living and working in a world with a glass ceiling for, for women and for, for, for professional women. And much of the adventures that we went on when we moved to new homes or new cities or new places were really how she was putting an incredibly positive and exciting and adventurous spin on the fact that, and this is going to come as a surprise to you based on how I've characterized her career, she was fired. And she was fired for ostensibly being a woman who wouldn't sit down and be quiet and take no for an answer, right? But she had to somehow figure out how how to recover from that. And when I realized how you know, human she truly is, or that my dad is, then I actually can turn around and realize, well, of course my daughters made a mistake. They're only human. And at what age in your life do you think that realization kicked in? When did you arrive at a point where you either understood on your own or where she shared with you those realities, those challenges, those failings? I'll quote my parents to say, there's going to come a day when you're married and you have kids, and your kids do something, and you're going to call me to either apologize or say, oh, (laughs) I get it now. And it's going to be that full circle, that sort of circle of life. And it's happened in different stages. It's happened at stages when I've been an exhausted new parent who hasn't really slept at all because of having a newborn in the house, or when my wife, Nicole, and I had three daughters under the age of three, when our twins were born, you know, there's been different different stages of, of things that I've gone through or experiences that I've had when I've then realized that that they were truly you know, you know human human like the rest of us all the way up until like I say earlier this year when my when my dad passed away and it it, it wasn't that and I was never under any 
any change, any, any change. It wasn't as though oh, my dad has passed. I've suddenly broke, bro- broken free. It wasn't as though I suddenly realized, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm the head of the family on that side of the family. But it really became a matter of I was, you know, free to take what he had taught me and shared with me and the adages he passed down along over, over time and realized that now sort of my, you know, my chance. I just want to make sure that my my children interpret it as and 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 they don't. I love that they say no, sir, and yes, sir, and no, ma'am, and yes, ma'am. And I love how respectful they are. And I realize that I, I love how we've continued on the tradition of sort of respecting your elders. However, I've tried to have them understand to show respect and regard for their elders, but not but as people as opposed to in, in, in infallible individuals. You know, I think we all look at our children as being maybe disconnected maybe lazy, maybe unfocused. But I think if you go back and check the literature, you can probably find every generation says, our kids are disconnected, they're lazy, they're unfocused. What's different about this next generation, our children, and the challenges that we face as parents? And what's the same as every generation that came before? Well, I think as far as what may be the the same as, at least in our families, you know, with the traditional roles of, of, of mom and dad, Grandma and grandpa, Grammy and granddad. You know those traditional roles are there, but you know as far as what's different, I'll, I'll answer it in, in, in this way. Clearly, as evidenced by the way that you're able to produce this podcast, and we're not sitting across from each other in, in a in a radio station that's running real to real tape. Clearly, there's the impact of technology on life, and there's the impact of technology on their lives. It's this ability to work remotely. When I first started working remotely close to close to 15, 20 years ago, people, my, my family, my very success, successful aforementioned parents were concerned that I was on the path to unsuccess, <laughs> to, to not being successful, because why wasn't I in an office with a commute, with a briefcase in hand? I know it became strange for, for our parents when instead of a briefcase, we were carrying a backpack. Were we going to the office or were we, were, were we going to class? You know, why aren't we being, you know, and then of course, you know, the difference in clothing, right? <laughs> what, is, what is this casual Friday? But you know, the impact of technology on our children and on their lives, obviously it's impacted our lives as well. And there's so many ways that it's positively in, influenced, you know, us when you look at, you know, medical care and the impact of technology on that and on making the world smaller. What I look at and I see those differences that the elements that we really try to to watch out for is the impact of technology on their lives, on their education, on their experiences, on their interaction with their friends is, you know, we seek to encourage everyone to sort of go heads up, you know, face out of the phone, heads up and to interact and to 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 act live. I'm always encouraging our, our children to make a phone call versus send a text message and to do other things. But the things that are going to perpetuate family, the things that are going to perpetuate friendship, the things that are going to perpetuate, you know, the ethics and morals so that technology sort of serves for good versus some impact of you know Skynet coming down upon us and making sure that you know they they have the, the interpersonal skills and the personal relationships and perhaps set themselves apart, not not from a sense of of, of, of being competitive, but set themselves apart for the sense of connection, which also brings us back to giving back. And don't just give back by being part of a go for something, but to to interact and and so let's make sure that with the impact of technology or the generational differences, that those values and the, the things that we stand for and the things that are so meaningful to us and, and aspects of life that came to us from our great grandparents' generation to our grandparents to our parents are continued. So, for example, during during COVID, when we first started to sort of emerge from COVID, we got everyone to dinner together for dinner on a Sunday, including some good friends and neighbors we hadn't seen for six weeks, right? Hadn't seen anybody in person. And we're now, you know, two and a half years later and Sunday dinner at our, at our family is a, is a tradition. And Sunday dinner is a tradition and that's all there for everyone to be a part of. And whoever can make it, can make it. And whoever can't, can't. If you're traveling, we're traveling. And we have various sets of friends that come in and out from that. But we maintain that personal and we 
go around the table and talk about what's going on in each other's lives and tell jokes and stories and laugh and discuss meaningful, meaningful experiences, what's going on with at the time that started to their education, to then their graduation. And now we're discussing their, their, their careers or in the case of our daughter, Lauren, who's getting her master's in nursing. We discuss her, her graduate program. But when we talk about what's different now, I would say there's many aspects to what we're trying to make sure stays the same. We want to, we want to keep those common threads in the fabric of our family. Yeah, I really like your commitment to that tradition, and I really like the connection that you're making here to what I agree with you is maybe the single most determining difference for this next generation is that for better or for worse, there has been this generational cycle. There has been the passing down of knowledge. There has been the conveyance of parenting and wisdom to the next generation of children. And the advent of a hyper-technology-driven society where information flows are different and the interpersonal communication has been usurped by the power of the, the internet and the cell phone, those traditional mechanisms by which communication and the passing down of those experiences are starting to be broken. And I, I do believe and I do agree with you that that is one of the greatest challenges that we face in engaging with this next generation and ensuring that that cycle continues. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I think that's a really good place, Jeffrey, for us to bring our discussion to a close. I think that, you know, you've shared some amazing wisdom and perspective, both in looking at our parents' generation and in how we as parents are dealing with our children's generation. It's been very informative to me. Every one of our discussions is, but I'm happy that we get to share this one with our listeners at Datages and for them to benefit from the discussion as well. And as you know, Jeffrey, every Datages episode, when we have a guest, we give them the opportunity to participate in another great tradition, which is the sharing of a really bad dad joke. So do your worst. Well, Chad, since you're from Florida, I thought this one might be particularly apropos. So how do you tell the difference between an alligator and a crocodile? I don't know, Jeffrey, how do you tell the difference between an alligator and a crocodile? It's actually easier than you think. One you'll see after a while, and the other one you'll see later. Great. Amazing. Well done. Well, Jeffrey, thank you again for not only sharing your wit and humor, but sharing your wisdom with us throughout this episode. It's been a real pleasure having you join me here on Datages and sharing those lessons with our audience. And I, I wish you all the best and I look forward to the next conversation that, that we have in private and we'll look to download from you and, and you can share your honest perspectives on your participation here in this interview and, and, and how you felt, feel like it went. Well, thank you very much, Chad. It was absolutely fantastic being on. Like I said, I've really, really enjoyed seeing Dadages go from concept to reality to going from an idea that you, that you had to to, to live and in person. And I've really enjoyed listening to the, to the show. And it's a, it's a, it's a pleasure. It's an honor to, to, to be on. And I, I also want to thank you because you had said that, and I put this out there to any of your listeners that end up coming on as a guest, you had promised that it would be just as easy and, 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 and fun and, and as comfortable as a conversation that we normally have together, just one-on-one. And that would, you're absolutely right. So really, really, really enjoyed it. And Thanks again for asking me to come on. Hopefully, I've been able to provide maybe a little something that might have been helpful to, to, to what, you know, one or two listeners out there. Most definitely. And I'll just remind our listeners, as we always say, dad may not always know what he's talking about, but he sure can sound like he does. Thank you for listening to Dadages. If you enjoyed this episode, remember to visit dadages.com and subscribe to the Dadages podcast to get notified for future episodes. You can rate or review on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Why? Because I'm your father, and I said so. Just a little respect is all I ask for. I put a roof over your head and food on the table, and what do you do? No, tell me exactly what do you do, because I'm doing everything. I'm paying for everything. No, get back here. Get back here right now.